athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. We got a whole lot to get to in today's program. Going to talk a lot of NBA. Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us on the program. Some good first round matchups in the NBA. I know that I was reading an article where the watching of the NBA playoffs is down 26% this season over last season. A lot of that is going to be linked to the fact that the Lakers are not in the playoffs or LeBron James is not in the playoffs. But I mean, I think some of these series, first round series are good. I think the second round series are going to be even better. And again, we'll talk with Mike Wallace. Going to talk a lot of NBA with Mike Wallace today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Also joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Titus Howard. If you follow HBCU football, how many of you know who Titus Howard is? And then if you don't follow HBCU football, how many know who Titus Howard is? Titus Howard started four years at offensive tackle for the Alabama State Hornets and he could possibly hear his name called in the first round, in the first round of next week's National Football League draft. And he would be the first the first HBCU player drafted in the first round since Dominic Rogers Cromarty, of course, out of Tennessee State, was drafted in the first round by the Arizona Cardinals. And remember it quite well because I had a chance, as a matter of fact, to uh, to cover Dominique that first year, his rookie year, when the Super Bowl was in Tampa and the Cardinals played the Steelers. It was a great game, had a chance to be at the game, had a chance really to talk with Dominique after that game. And uh, so Titus Howard going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Definitely going to hear his name called. It's just a matter of when, and it's possibly. I saw a, as a matter of fact, I saw a mock draft more recently that had him going in the first round, the number 12 pick to the Green Bay Packers. Titus Howard going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Uh, also joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, the Southern baseball team is playing well. As a matter of fact, a big-time win over LSU on last week. LSU at the time ranked number eight in the country. Carrick Jackson is the head baseball coach at Southern. He's also going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Join us on the program. Why don't you hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row and on Instagram at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. 
or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Thank you to those listening to us on our wonderful affiliates around the country that carry from the press box to press row and those that carry the program like W-E-L-E. 1380 out of Ormond Beach, Florida. Also, Daytona Beach, Florida, who carries the program. How about Rejoice 103.5 uh, and WJXY Rejoice 1200, Myrtle Beach, Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, Conway, um, Tabor City, North Carolina, that carries the program. Those that listen to us on Sirius XM, channels 141 and 142, and those that listen to us around the world, at BoxToRow.com, and Tiger Woods wins another major. I didn't, you know, I'm not sure if I thought. I don't. I'm not into golf all like that. I mean, I'm not going to be one of. I'm not going to pretend like I'm one of those guys that plays golf and acts like I know golf and all of that. I just, you know, when you look at what Tiger Woods had been through the last time he had, in fact, won a major, the last time that he had won a Masters, and all the things that he had been through, both. On the golf course and off the golf course. And just more recently, you know, with a lot of the injuries. And I I didn't know that if he would win another major. But he certainly has. Congratulations to Tiger Woods. Obviously, you know, you have all of the the various doubters and so forth that didn't think he can do it. And everybody comes out of the woodworks. And, you know, it, it is a really good story, actually. Because, again, with... Everything that Tiger Woods has been through and you can, you know, if you think back to who is who has been on top like that, when you think about the history of sports and who has been on top in that manner and then fallen in the manner in which Tiger fell to the lowest that he could possibly fall to again, both on and off the golf course and to, then to come back and win the most prestigious golf tournament in the world. I mean, I think it is an absolutely awesome story. So congratulations to um, Tiger Woods. You know, uh, I had a chance and I told you guys I was going to be at the uh, at the Carolina Hurricanes and Washington Capitals game on Monday. And I'm going to tell you the building, the PNC Arena in Raleigh, absolutely lit. Mostly or a lot of, I should say, A, because the Hurricanes hadn't played, hadn't been in the playoffs in 10 years and we've talked about that a little bit over the course of time here on from the press box to press where as a matter of fact we talked with rod brindamore about that very thing in may shortly after he was hired it seems like the last couple of years it's been you know two three weeks left in the season still an opportunity to make it to the playoffs it just hasn't happened true um you know i think we've we've you know, I would say we're one of the younger teams in the league, and potentially getting even younger. So, uh, I think what we have here is we've got some real great young talent, and everyone's excited about that. And um, and you obviously that gives you hope for the future. And um, I think it's it is tough to win with young young players. I think that's pretty evident. But I also know that uh, you never know. And if we can get a couple pieces brought in this summer, which it sounds like we're trying to do. Um, you just never know how it's going to shake out, and I think you know Vegas is an interesting you know storyline, and it's given teams hope that you know from one year to the next you just never know, and uh, what, you never know going into the season what you're really going to have. And so, um, although they, you know that's a team that you know they picked a pretty good team, they had some good players coming in. I don't think they 
it didn't surprise a lot of the hockey people as much as it, you know everyone's kind of giving them credit for. Uh, they were a good team, and but it gives us hope too. Like I said, every year you just never know uh, how it's going to work out. Yep, young players like Andrei Shvesnikov, who absolutely got knocked out by Alex Ovechkin in Game Three in Carolina. I was I, I had a chance to see that, and he took an L right before his head hit the ice. Ovechkin caught him. It just shows, hey. He may be sort of the face of the league, and we've seen this over the years, faces of the league like Wayne Gretzky, maybe even uh, to some degree. You know, those kind of players don't really fight a whole lot, but I think Ovechkin showed that he could. But, I mean, you know, again, Shveshnikov has been sort of a key. Um, You know, the the Hurricanes um, decided to move on from a guy like a Justin Skinner. You know, last year they add a a Justin Williams, who was part of that Stanley Cup team in 2006. So they've got a nice mix. And by the way, having Rod Brindamore as the head coach, his first time as a head coach, a guy that knows the Hurricanes, one of the, again, he was part of that Stanley Cup as well. You know, I mean, in looking at this series and having seen game four, I watched that on TV and Carolina came out within the first 20 seconds of the game, scored a goal. Ovechkin came back, made it one to one. And then the Hurricanes right before the end of period two got a really nice goal to make it two to one. And it stood up. The Hurricanes killed uh, a couple, uh, a, at least one power play towards the latter part of the third period. I mean, this is a team that is playing like it has nothing to lose. And they are very dangerous. It's a very dangerous team. And I'm saying right now that I think the Hurricanes are going to win the next two games. You got game five taking place in Washington on Saturday and game six comes. It comes to Raleigh. I don't know if it's on Monday or Tuesday, but I say that the Hurricanes are playing in a way that they have nothing to lose right now. Meanwhile, you look at the Capitals. Yeah, you look at Ovechkin, he's he's scoring. But if you look at game three, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but at one time, shots on goal were something like 10 to 1 when the Hurricanes had, I think it was a one nothing lead, may have been a 2 to nothing lead, whatever the lead was. And then ultimately they got loose a little bit in the third period in game three. But they are absolutely dominating. They are dominant. I mean, you can even go back to game one. The, Her- the Capitals got out to the three to nothing lead and had to hold on to win that game three to two after the Hurricanes made a nice run with two goals in the third period. Since the third period of game one, the Hurricanes have been absolutely dominating the Capitals. And, you know, maybe last year, and, and you guys know I wrote a piece about this. I talked not only about what the the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup last year, but also what it meant or what it meant to Washington, to the Washington, D.C., especially pro sports scene, which I grew up in. But I'm going to tell you what, maybe last year was an aberration because of a contract dispute. The Capitals allow for Barry Trotz to walk and they had a this is the thing they had a really good season this year they had a really good season in some years if you go back a couple of years ago number one seed a couple of times and just could not get over the hump and maybe last year was an aberration for the Washington Capitals because I tell you what the Carolina Hurricanes ever since the third period of game one have been absolutely dominant against 
the Capitals. So uh, we're going to table that conversation on hockey right now. Uh, still to come here on from the press box to press row. Titus Howard, offensive tackle for Alabama State, expects to hear his name called in next week's National Football League draft. Also, we're going to be joined by Carrington Jackson, the head baseball coach at Southern here on the program as well. And a little bit later on, Mike Wallace going to talk some NBA right here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We're back with more on the other side. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer. The neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. From the press box to press row and box to row.com, your HBCU sports leader. We track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row the NFL draft. Uh, it's taking place on next week. It begins on next Thursday. You know, it's been, if my memory serves me correctly, it's been since 2007 since an HBCU player, now former HBCU player, has been drafted in the first round, Dominic Rogers Cromarty out of Tennessee State back in 2007. And on the line, we got a, a young man that has an opportunity to be drafted in the first round, a four-year starter uh, on the offensive line at Alabama State. He is from Monroeville, Alabama. He's Titus Howard. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Titus, welcome to the program. Hey, good to be here. Thank you for having me. It is an absolute pleasure to have you, and, and really more so because I know your schedule has been absolutely busy. You participated in the NFL Scouting Combine and all of these um, bowl games and so on and so forth. What have these last four or five months like been for you? Uh, these last four or five months have been pretty busy, but they've also been, you know, a great experience, uh, you know, doing a lot of traveling, uh, meeting a lot of coaches, uh, just doing a lot, uh, you know, in particular that deals with football on the um, business, not, business side, not as far as, like, on the field stuff. So I've just been traveling from team to team, you know, meeting coaches, you know, showing them how smart I am as far as being on uh, board work, um, and just, you know, viewing a lot of cities. So it's been pretty fun. 
Yeah, you know, one of the one of the mock drafts has you as the number twelve overall pick in the first round, which I, I said again, if you were to be selected in the first round, you'd be the first HBCU player to be selected in the first round since Dominic Rogers Cromartie back in the two thousand seven uh, NFL draft to be considered maybe the top offensive lineman, certainly one of the well, one of the top offensive linemen coming from a smaller school and more specifically an HBCU. What does that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot to me uh, just to you know be in that uh, place, you know, just just sit alone, you know, tell you that uh, no matter what school you go to, what university, you know, you have a chance to you know be great. It's all about what you got to do to get there. You got to put the work in. And they they gonna find you wherever you are. Uh, I came to college as a walk on and uh, earned a scholarship and you know put the work in. I went Alabama State, which is HBCU, and they found me. So no matter where you go, they gonna find you. Five years uh, at at Alabama State, of course, a, a redshirt year. Um, the NFL scouting combine, man. What was you know describe that experience? Uh, what was that uh, like for you? The NFL scouting combine was, you know, it was what everyone, you know, dreamed of, you know, just going, being on national television, you know, competing with the greatest players, you know, in the world, you know, that top 3%, you know, as people say, of the NCAA. And, um, you know, there's a lot, you know, like going on, you had to do medicals, uh, you spend time at the hospital, uh, you have endless meetings with coaches, uh, not that much sleep because <laughs> you had to go sleep late, wake up early. But it was a great experience, you know, just get a chance to, you know, be around people who, um, you know, have the same passion as you and get to compete against those same guys. You know, you're, you're now former head football coach Donald Hill Ely, known him for a very long time. He raves about you, talks about how uh, even as good a football player as you are, you're an even better um, young man. So with that said, I mean, you know, you did very well at the combine. Wasn't really any need for you to really participate in the pro day. Your NFL combine uh, numbers spoke for themselves. But what did that mean for you to be able to give some of your now former teammates an opportunity to be able to be seen by National Football League teams at at your pro day? Yes, sir. Um, I was blessed to get an invitation to the Senior Bowl and uh, NFL combine. And, you know, like you said, um, I didn't have to do a pro day at Alabama State, but uh, it meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to my teammates, you know, because it's not just about, a, about me. You know, if I can help somebody else, I could. So I, I did my pro day so the other guys can get a chance, you know, to get their face out there and, and have an opportunity to do something great in front of, of, of scouts, you know, because you never know. They go out there and do something great. That's the chance they get to earn, they get to earn like, like the people who gave me a chance to go to the combine. So um, I had friends, um, some guys I didn't know, but they took advantage of it, and I'm happy for them. That's the voice of Titus Howard, now former starting offensive tackle at Alabama State. He joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Expects to hear his name called in this year's National Football League draft. As I look at one of the um, the mock drafts, Titus, it, it shows you going at number 12 to Green Bay. What, I'm, I'm, I would have to assume that one of your visits was to Green Bay. Am I am I correct in assuming that? Yes, sir. Okay. So what what was that? Talk about that. What was that visit like? I don't. Did you have a chance to 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 meet uh, 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 to meet Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I actually did see him uh, when I first got to Green Bay. Um, we did all the medical exams. Went downstairs and he was actually down getting treatment in the uh, training room, and I met him then. Uh, met a couple of the offensive linemen. 
And from just talking to him for the time I did talk to him, he seemed like he was a pretty great guy. So I would love to have a chance to, you know, go up there and, you know, block for him. What are some, I, I know the cutoff day to visit uh, teams uh, was Thursday. So wh- who, how, what, how many teams, wh- who are the teams that you went to visit? Um, I went to see like 20 plus teams. Wow. Um, went all the way from going to visit Philly to um, Buffalo and New York, New York Giants, New York Jets, Houston Texans, North Carolina Panthers, Los Angeles Rams, Washington Redskins, um, Saints, Tennessee Titans. Um, some almost it was like almost every team. I went Patriots also. Um, got a chance to you know meet Bill Belichick and his staff. I was I met a lot of teams. Yeah, have you have you ever at least had a chance to meet or have a conversation with Teron Armstead, a former third round draft pick? I believe it was 2013 out of Arkansas Pine Bluff. I mean, he's you know he's he's one of the he's the really the last uh, guy drafted from a SWAC school that uh, that uh, uh, is playing in the National Football League. He's playing at a very high level. Uh, actually, I talked to him on, on numerous occasions. Um, talked to him the first time, and then we just conversation. We talked on the phone for a little while. Then, uh, probably like a couple of days ago, he hit me up again. You know, just gave me encouraging words and told me if I ever need help with anything, any advice. Um, he just called away. Yeah. What What did he share with you about this process? Uh, really, just you know, just being who you are, man. Just coming in uh, from day one, uh, trusting that you're here for a reason, and that um. No, uh, if you wasn't here for a reason, they wouldn't have brought you there. And just come in ready to work and just, you know, give you all. And then they'll just, you'll go from there. Titus Howard expects to hear his name called. Former offensive tackle at Alabama State, a four-year starter. He joins us here on the program. You got you to gotta share this story with us, man, because, you know, in doing some reading and some research and something I didn't even uh, know, you were a, a high school quarterback how does one go from being a high school quarterback to being 6'5", 322 pounds on the verge of being possibly selected in the first round of the NFL draft? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty, you know, <laughs> up and down journey. Uh, actually, in high school, it was like 6'3", uh, left high school, I was 6'3", 215 at quarterback. Um came to Alabama State uh, on a Richard Barlow and uh, ended up getting moved to tight end. So I uh, moved to tight end in a red shirt in that first year, uh, tried to get bigger and stronger and faster, uh, ended up getting to around 240 by the end of my freshman year. I was still playing tight end at the time. Coach, then Coach Barlow got fired, and that was Coach Jenkins and his staff came in. And Coach uh, Hill Ely was the uh, tight end coach at the time. So he was my tight end coach. And um, as spring went by, we didn't have spring that year, spring ball that year. So we were just working out, doing drills and stuff like that. And uh, he came up to me and asked me, you know, when I think about playing offensive tackle. Now, at first I looked at him like he was crazy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, man, I can't play the offensive tackle. And, you know, he was like, you should think about it. So I'm just thinking about it. Uh, time go by, get to the regular season. I started taking backup reps at tackle during practice, but I was still dressing out as a tight end during the season, uh, the first three games of the season. I played tight end. 
got like midway through the season, uh, starting right tackle went down, and they said, "Hey, Ty, it's your chance to play." And they put me in at tackle, and I've been starting ever since then. And uh, Coach Ely had made this bet with me. Uh, he was like, "Hey, man, if you just buy in, I see something great in you." He was like, "I will bet you my whole paycheck that you made it to the NFL." And if you don't make it to the NFL, he said, if you don't make it to the NFL, I will I will give you my paycheck. And if you do, you give me your first paycheck. <laughs> I, had, I said, I had, I, I had to let them know after they, after they got to this past year. I said, hey, coach, I can't give you that first paycheck. <laughs> wait a minute. You reneged on the you, – now, wait. You, now, you agreed to that, though, right, Titus? Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what's up with that, man? <laughs> it's so funny, though. It's just the fact that. I got so much respect for him. Yeah. He, he, you know, when, you know, people didn't believe in me, uh, he saw something in me that a lot of people didn't see. And I can't, you know, thank him enough for that. And I'm always going to, you know, feed up for him anything he needs. Yeah. No, no question about it. Last thought, um, you know, again, being, coming from an HBCU, a smaller school, a lot of times, um, you know, players can be not necessarily overlooked. I think if, they, if you can play, they'll find you, and you're definitely um, a, a, a testament and a potential testament to that. But a lot of times, you know, you just you don't you don't get as much hype. Let's put it like that, as uh, as other or the bigger schools do. So, do you feel like um, whether you're drafted first round, second round, whatever the case may be, man, like you're carrying the mantle for HBCUs and smaller schools? Yes, sir. Um, how I look at it, uh, I don't. To me, I don't even worry about that HBCU, SEC, you know, talk. I know I'm from an HBCU, and I, and I don't, I, you know, I carry that, you know, with me. Everybody, I would ask, hey, man, how you like going to Alabama State? I always tell them, hey, man, I loved it, you know. I, and coaches always ask me, you know, when I go to meet teams, they'd be like, why you didn't transfer? I'd be like, hey, because I didn't want to transfer. You see, you came and got me, you know, from where I was at. Uh, so you got to, you know, you got to have pride in and where you came from, what school you went to, and I have pride in that I came from HBCU. So I carry that wherever I go because, you know, it lets me know where I've been, and now I'm looking at where I'm going to go to. Awesome. Titus Howard expects to hear his name called in next week's National Football League draft. Offensive tackle out of Alabama State joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Titus, we really appreciate the time. Thank you for sharing your story. Continued success in everything you're doing. We look forward to hearing your, uh, your name called next week. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Southern baseball coach Carrick Jackson is up next. Let's continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And the Southern Jaguar baseball program is back, if you will. 22-15 and 15 on the season, 13-2 and two in SWAC play. And in his first season as the head baseball coach at Southern is Carrick Jackson. Of course, the Jaguars are going to host a weekend series against Arkansas Pine Bluff. As Carrick Jackson joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Jackson, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, your thoughts on the season 22-15 and 15 to this point, including five straight victories. You know what? It's it's been a uh, it's been a really good season to this point, as you said. Uh, obviously, in comparison to where we were last year, uh, we won only won nine games last year and uh, 33 losses. Um, but but we were we were in games last year, and that was the thing that I walked out of the year with um, some hope about moving forward. Is uh, 15 of our 33 losses were 
two runs or less, and we got walked off six times last year. So uh, we were in a lot of ball games and just couldn't finish. Uh, so my goal for our guys this year was just to come out and just to play clean baseball and see where we ended up at the, at the end of the day. So wait a minute, is this your first year or second year? Second season. Second, second season. Talk about having to sort of, um, you know, follow a legend in Roger Cador who was at uh, Southern for so many years. Well, you know, I mean, as, as I've told people in the past, uh, that's the only reason why I had interest in the job because of the things that he was able to do in his 33-year tenure here as a head coach uh, and the publicity that they had uh, as being one, a HBCU baseball program at the Division One level that was turning out high-level prospects and playing at a very high clip and winning championships at a high clip, that was something to me that made this job very attractive uh, with with everything that I've done in the game to this point. Coaching is who I am. Uh, and so when the opportunity presented itself, I actually was surprised that it was still open because he had retired, uh, you know, at the end of the year, uh, his last season, that 2017 season. Um, and it just so happened I found out that it was still available, and I was, wow, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and so then that, that's when my interest became peaked. Let me take you back to last week, a historic win against LSU, only the third win that Southern has had against LSU uh, in, I guess, the 54 games that have been played, but it was the first time that the Jaguars won at home. So take us through that 7-2 to victory, a victory in which um, your pitcher in that game, Eli Finney, absolutely dominated. You know, yeah, it was. we played a good game, and, and that's kind of what I told our guys at the beginning uh, before the game started. I said, you got a chance, you're going to be on national TV, uh, you're playing one of uh, our in-town rivals, and, and we want them to be rivals. So as we get better, that will be a game that that should be highly contested every year. Uh, and um, you're going to have a good crowd here, uh, and, and they're ranked eighth in the country. And I said, so the only thing I want you guys to focus on is do two things for me. I said, earn some respect and have fun. Uh, and if we do those things, I believe that we'll like where we end up at the end, win, lose, or draw. Uh, not concerned about what the outcome is, just how we go about handling our business. And then with Eli, just had the conversation with him before the game of what our pitching plan was going to be, and that if he went out and believed and executed it well, it was going to give us an opportunity to be uh, competitive and, and get a chance to win the game at the end of the day. Why was this time around different against LSU? I mean, if you go back to February 27th, you lose that game um, at LSU uh, 17-4. to So why was it different this time around? You know, I think when you look back at that first game, we give up an error in the first inning and they put up eight. Uh, and, and when you're playing in that environment and you give up an eight spot, um, it's tough to come back from. Uh, and this time we started off and we threw the first punch. Um, and I, I want to say that uh, if we're not undefeated, um, we maybe only lost one or two games when we score first. Uh, so that is important for us is to, is to throw that first punch uh, and then put ourselves in a position where we go out and we play quality defense and, and throw strikes and have quality at-bats. And that's basically what we were able to do against LSU was uh, their first pitcher struggle with walking some guys. We got some timely hitting in that first inning, uh, and then we just kind of grinded it out the entire way all the way through. And, and so, like I said, I think the fact that it was even uh, for um, from the start uh, gave us that opportunity. Carrick Jackson in his second season as the head baseball coach at Southern joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. I mean, you, you look at the win you had against LSU. You look at go back a couple of weeks ago, A&T's 
victory over uh, over South Carolina. Um, and you're talking about two SEC teams that are ranked. What's sort of your philosophy? Because a lot of times when you look at midweek games, it's a lot of times, okay, we're maybe going and compete and then get ready for our conference games on the weekend. But I, I'm taking it you take a different approach and want to try and win those midweek games. Of course. Uh, you know, I think the one thing that I said when I first got here was that the, our goal was to be the first HBCU to get to Omaha. Uh, and so when you – when you have a goal as such, then you have to put yourself in a position that when you play those out-of-conference games, and specifically those games against Power 5 schools where you could potentially end up in some of those regionals, we have to get our kids' mindset um, to, to understand that, listen, it really doesn't matter who's in the other dugout. This is, that's the beauty about our game is you're playing a game against the game itself. You're not playing against the other team. The only time that it gets mano-a-mano is pitcher on the mound, hitter in the box those games for us will be crucial moving forward because it's not just getting to a regional. It's getting to a regional and being competitive and winning a regional and getting to a super and getting to Omaha. Do you feel like the team is now hitting its stride, perhaps beginning with the win against LSU? Because if I look at the schedule, I mean, you've had some close games. You've lost to some bigger programs. You've had some games where you've won some games against uh, some in some series, that is, against some bigger programs, but uh, sort of up and down a little bit. Do you feel like maybe that LSU game was a turning point and now you guys are more stable, if you will? I hope that it was. Uh, we still have some moments uh, where, where we don't play the game as smart as I would like us to, but this is an ever-evolving teaching environment. Um, and so we, we, don't, we can't expect our kids to just go out there and have it. Uh, we have to continue to teach them and coach them the entire year. And as we go along, we talk about some of the things that we do that are some mistakes, how we prevent those mistakes from happening in the future, uh, and when we get ourselves in those similar situations, how we'll handle it differently to put ourselves in a position uh, to be successful. Uh, and if you can have that mindset, it'll put us in a position where we can go out and make some things happen. Garrett Jackson is the head baseball coach at Southern. He joins us here on the program. Talk to us, uh, Coach Jackson, a little bit about some of the personnel we mentioned, uh, you know, Eli as your pitcher and, and, well, at least what he was able to do against LSU. But who are some of the guys that are really stepping forward for you so far this season and really during this five-game winning streak? Uh, you know, we, we've, we've, uh, our bullpen has been good for us all year. We felt really comfortable that when we get ourselves in a position uh, where we have a lead in that seventh inning that we have three or four guys that we can run out of there and shut it down. Connor Whalen has been our closer all year. Uh, and he's just been, he's really, really been dominant. You know, he's got 11 appearances, 13 to third innings, um, 15 punch outs, uh, you know, three wins and seven saves. Um, and then we have a, a number of other guys that we roll out in that situation that have been good for us. Uh, and then I think on the offensive side, we've just been really been clicking. Um, you know, we, we have, uh, we structure our lineup to where we have some guys top to bottom. You know, we got Javen Williams, who's hitting 367 and was hitting 444 for us at one point, hitting in the nine hole. And everybody keeps asking if I'm going to move him up, and I'm not. Um, he, he's he's in a great spot. And for me, I don't look at our lineup as you know necessarily your best hitters at the top and your worst hitters at the bottom. I look at it as your more consistent hitters are at the top, and you want grinders at the bottom. That you know, most of the time, people say, "Hey, bottom of the order here." Well, with us, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, our bottom of the order with the two guys that we've kind of had there um, all year, one of them's hitting 328. And like I said, Javian is uh, right now hitting 367, but they both have over 400 uh, on base percentages. And they both, uh, Javian stolen 22 bases and, and Hampton Hudson stole nine bases. So, so we, we 
kind of structure our lineup uh, top to bottom to where we can get some things done at the top, we can get some things done in the middle, and we can definitely get some things done at the bottom. So that has all been good for us as we've been going through the year. Um, so background, you know, you're you're you graduated. I get where your last school anyway was Nebraska. You started out as a, at a community college, had a year at Bethune Cookman with Mervell Melendez, who's been on this show probably more times in the history of this show than anyone. What, what, what about that and and that first uh, championship team at Bethune Cookman playing with Mervell Melendez, and then of course Bethune Cookman has has one of the better uh, programs in all of HBCU baseball. You know, I think besides my high school coaches uh, that I had growing up, um, that's kind of where I really think I got the, the coaching bug, if you will. Coach Reese, um, who was our coach there at Bethune-Cookman, uh, I mean, he he was the, the definition of, of coach. You know, we I think we had uh, 23 players on our roster because that's all we had enough uniforms for. Um, he washed the uniforms himself, he and his wife, uh, sometimes he had to do it by hand to make sure there was no stains in it. Uh, we didn't have our own field to practice on. We didn't have our own field to play. Uh, but but that small group of guys, and, and Ravel, especially being an older guy at that time, um, was very instrumental in the leadership that they provided, and, and they set a culture of of winning. Um, and we didn't make excuses. And, you know, we went into Florida that year, and I think we lost to Florida maybe – three to two or four to three. Um, and again, we only had 23, 24 guys on our roster. We had seven pitchers um, and we just barely missed making a regional. And the only reason we didn't make the regional because we had four guys, three or four guys cramp up uh, in a double header day. And so again, when you're dealing with a small roster, you can't afford to lose guys to, to cramps and all those kind of things. But um, that, that year uh, was was phenomenal for us the year before that at my junior college we had gone to the juco world series and finished third um and so then rolled it right into going to bethune cookman and and winning the first conference championship and getting in that regional play-in game um and so all those things kind of build who you are not only as a man but when you get into this profession from a coaching standpoint then you take all those experiences that you had as players you reach back to former players that your teammates or and or coaches uh, and grab from them to do things that help you build uh, the person that you want to be as a coach. And then lastly, Coach Jackson, of course, Carrick Jackson, the head baseball coach at Southern, joins us here, and we appreciate the time. You were known as a master recruiter, more specifically um, at Missouri. You've had some nationally ranked recruiting classes. So what is the approach in terms of recruiting um, coming to Southern now, um, which is a, a smaller program, but still, has, uh, you know, Roger Cater did a great job, had some pro players. So sort of what is your recruiting philosophy now coming to maybe a more of a smaller program at Southern? Well, you know, um, it, it starts with having the right personnel. Um, we added Chris Crenshaw to come in, and he's in charge of our recruiting. Uh, and, and he and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, and we're going to have a national recruiting approach uh, again. The goal is Omaha, um, and, and so we, we want to rec- recruit with that mindset. We're not afraid for kids to tell us no. Um, I don't believe in, oh, well, that kid's too good. He's going to the SEC. Well, then let him tell me no. Uh, don't, don't, we're not going to make any assumptions that nobody wants to be here. And, and what we have to do is we have to uh, build a program and get the program back to where it was and get kids to understand that your opportunities to, one, come in here and play, two, have a chance to develop, 
three for the kids that want to go on and play professionally uh, and four and most importantly get a chance to get your degree are here just as good as they are anywhere else and I think once we establish something and, and having this year that we've had in year two is helping us do that um, because again you go from nine wins and if we get to that you know we're we're a few wins away from having a above 500 record um, now what we're talking about has been proven uh, and so now some of these kids are like, well, I'm not sure. Now they look at us, I think, in a different light. Um, and so with the things they talk about, with there not being as many black players in the game as much anymore and those types of things, I think that we it will allow us to recruit nationally. Um, and I think it will allow us to attract the, the better black baseball players that are out there that are playing um, and say, hey, here's a viable option where you can play at a high level, be in the postseason, get your degree, and have a chance to get drafted. Southern Jaguars, 22-15 on the season, hosting a weekend series against Arkansas Pine Bluff, also 13-2 in SWAC play. In his second season as the head baseball coach of the Jaguars is Carrick Jackson. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Coach Jackson, we appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Jaguars. Thank you very much. I appreciate it as well. Thanks, Coach Jackson. Don't touch that dial as Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, is up next. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row, the biggest names, our guests on Box to Row. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. Well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day, and I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. You know what you said. This is the one and only D-O-Double-G. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey, man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and Sports, hey, my favorite three topics. Hey, say what's happening, man? It's TIP, man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused. Just really, you know, excited. Missed any of these interviews? Then check us out online at www.botchtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real, relevant, radio. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. As promised, we're talking NBA here on From the Press Box to Press Row. My main man on the line, Mike Wallace, the senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us on the program. A lot going on in the playoffs. Mike, what's going on, man? <laughs> A little bit of everything, man. You know how it is man, when it comes to the uh, NBA playoffs. It's just intriguing. Uh, you know, it's a little bit disappointing in a certain way because, you know, LeBron James is not in it for the first time, it seems like, forever. But, uh... You know, it's always something to do. It's always a storyline out there. So, you know, again, I'm always happy to be on the show, man, be a part of the show to share it all with you. Yeah, and I, we appreciate it. And I know a lot going on where you guys don't stop just because the Memphis Grizzlies aren't playing in it. But, you know, let me start with the Grizzlies, man. I mean, we talked about this, you know, uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago and all of even more shakeup, man, a lot of restructuring going on there in Memphis. Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, at the end of the season, you know, second straight non-playoff season, uh, injury-filled season, some a season when there was a lot of things going on, uh, some controversial things as well. Uh, the, the, the front office just decided to shake things up a little bit. Um, you know, they reassigned general manager Chris Wallace uh, and, and dismissed coach J.B. Bickerstaff. It was a tough blow, though, man, because you know anybody who's known J.B. And, and, and has been around J.B. for any length of time uh, loves the guy. I mean, absolutely loves the guy and, and, and pulls for him. And it was a tough situation that he stepped into uh, in the interim role. 
uh, a couple seasons ago for, for you know, uh, David Fisdale. And, you know, he was dealt a tough hand and tried to play his way out of a tough hand. And it just, you know, at the end of the day, this was the, the moves that the Grizzlies made were, were, were about things bigger than the coaching position. They wanted to, uh, you know, realign and restructure the front office and give a new regime or a new uh, uh, opportunity to uh, from top to bottom uh, get a fresh start. And as, as painful as it was for a lot of people around uh, the organization, um, uh, they, they look at this as a step towards progress, and we'll see uh, how they finish out these hires with the new front office. Um, a couple of hires have already been made. I mean, Rich Cho uh, has come in. He's a longtime guy, been around in Portland and also in Charlotte uh, the past few years as well. I uh, was in Charlotte for seven years. Uh, and then uh, Glenn Grunwald, um, longtime, longtime NBA veteran front office guy, uh, was with the Knicks for a long time and also has done a lot of work recently with Team Canada. All right, let, let's talk about some of the playoffs. I think one of the series that I'm a little bit surprised at, but then really why should I be, is San Antonio and Denver. Less a miraculous comeback by Denver. Really, San Antonio could be up three games to none right now. You, your thoughts on this series, and um, can ultimately Denver as the number two seed come back? Yeah, it's tough because, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I believe San Antonio has outplayed Denver throughout this series. And, and without that, that collapse in the second half of uh, uh, specifically the third third and fourth quarter of game two, uh, San Antonio could be up 3-0 easily uh, in this series. I mean, Denver is one of those teams you always wondered. They had a great regular season. They pushed Golden State for the best record in the West uh, all the way to the last week or two of the regular season. But you always wondered, is this team postseason ready? Usually when a team has a lot of regular season success for the first time, they have a lot of questions to answer uh, once they get over into the postseason. And Denver is certainly uh, one of those teams. Their back is against the wall. I mean, although some of their individuals have had, uh, you know, good games and good stretches, uh, Greg Popovich is such a, a tough guy to match up with in the first round for an inexperienced playoff team because he knows how to take away your best player. And we've seen that happen with Jamal Murray, have a, a, a great stretch, and then he goes basically uh, non-impactful at all in Game 3. Um, we hadn't seen Jokic really, really dominate, um, you know, because LaMarcus Aldridge is being, you know, really, really physical with him. So it's one of those situations where I think San Antonio is dominating how the game is being played, and, they're, you know, they, they're taking that lead, that series lead into, uh, into Game 4 with the chance to really put that series on ice uh, with another win if they can get one in San Antonio. Yeah, no no question about it. A game taking place on Saturday. Nets and 76ers, boy, what a surprise in game one. But it looks like the 76ers, even in game three without Joel Embiid, able to get it done against the Nets. So the 76ers now back on the right track, at least against the Nets. You you would think so, because if the Nets are serious about, you know, really, really pushing this upset quest, uh, they would have taken care of, of home in game three. They really would have come out and played a lot better. And it seemed like the Sixers, you know, came in there and was just like, okay, look, what y'all did in game one was a fluke. And, you know, it was controversial, a lot of talk about the, the cell phone being on the bench with Amir Johnson and Joel Embiid and then Joel Embiid getting hurt and, you know, questioning Ben Simmons and whether he was ready to step up. Philly stepped up to the challenge. I mean, they didn't mess around in game three. I think they reasserted themselves uh, as the, you know, superior team uh, in the series. Now, having said that, you know, all Brooklyn has to do is take another game, and, and then you're, you're even up again with the three, with three games left. So, you know, I, I think Brooklyn has the, the ability to make things difficult on, on Philadelphia, but I think Philly is the more talented team. 
It's just a matter of, you know, can Brooklyn sustain, you know, that activity, sustain that aggressiveness. They're sort of playing like the Clippers of the East when it comes to being overmatched talent-wise, but giving themselves a chance to play by their effort. And uh, sometimes in the playoffs, man, talent takes over. That the voice of Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, talking some NBA and NBA playoffs, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mike, I got five words for you and then two words for you. You know who I am, Kevin Durant. And that's what he said on the off day, you know, when a lot of people were questioning, you know, his play and the, the deal with he and, and and Patrick Beverly. And then he showed exactly who he was on Thursday night in a scintillating performance. Um, you know, was that sort of I mean, what what did you make of game two with Golden State sort of going down, relinquishing a 31 point lead? And it looks like. You know, just like the 76ers, the, uh, the the Warriors are back on track and ready to rock and roll. Hey, man, like most of America and probably most of the globe, uh, well, I won't even say most of the globe because that game was being aired earlier in different parts of the world, but I went to sleep. Like, I, I felt like that game was over with, um, especially in the early stages of the third quarter, so I was like, all right, I'm checking out in game two. And, you know, they came back. The Clippers came back with the, uh, the biggest comeback in postseason history, trailing 31 and just fighting their way in and chipping their way back into that game. And that's typical Doc Rivers. That's typical Pat Beverly. That's typical, you know, the the, the, the all heart and, and the grind you down mentality uh, of those Clippers. And, you know, I, I think a lot was made that that was, you know, them sort of reestablishing themselves in the series when you always felt like Golden State, once they woke up, man, they I don't think anybody can do anything with them. And Kevin Durant, for everything that Pat Beverly did, sort of get under Kevin Durant's skin, you just knew that the officials were going to take charge of the game again. They weren't going to let uh, Pat Beverly just basically maul and, and dog Kevin up and down the court every time he touched the ball. And you knew that it was going to be neutralized. And what Kevin did was like, okay, look, I'm not going to make a big deal out of it. I'm not. It's, he almost went the hip-hop route. He almost went old-school route. I'm not even going to speak your name on this track because all <laughs> that's going to do is elevate you to think you on my level. So he went on out there and did it, man. And he showed that, look, I'm 6'10", 6'11". You're 6'1", 6'2". I can get my shot off on you anytime I want. You're not on my level. And that was him reestablishing himself, telling Pat Beverly, dude, remember who I am. You're not on my level. And, and, and that's what happened. And unfortunately, as much as you and I have known Kevin and have seen him grow and, and, and come from the same region and area that he comes from, um, he's a guy that even at this stage of his career, he needs, to, he needs the haters. And that's the unfortunate part. He he creates the hater. He creates the, the controversy so that he can respond to it and pretty much try to shut up everybody. So I think that's what he's doing. Sometimes when you're great, your greatness is good enough. But I think Kevin Durant's greatness just isn't good enough. He wants to be great plus be a guy that tells everybody else, hey, shut up. You're not, you're not up here. And I think that's what he's doing in this series. And Golden State is going to win it. Yeah, lastly, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, man. I mean, you're, and I realize Detroit is a little bit shorthanded without Blake Griffin, but I mean, I don't know, you know, even with Griffin, and he's, that's just a whole nother story. But is this a team in the way that they're playing that, uh, not only can make it to the finals, but possibly win it all? I think so, man. And, and, you know, when you see how they defend, and of course it's hard to judge right now because, you know, Detroit just doesn't have any, they don't have any spark at all, and it's 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 disappointing. And I and I love, you know, what that coaching staff has done. I mean, Casey's one of my favorite guys in the league, and, and I respect immensely 
uh, you know, his approach. And Stefanski, uh, who's the senior advisor to that franchise, uh, to the owner, is, is a guy that I've gotten to know over the years, too, was in Philly for a long time and then came through Memphis. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm disappointed that Detroit advanced to the playoffs because had they not, I, I think a hungrier team like a, a Miami or a Charlotte would have fared a lot better in this series, especially because those teams are healthy. I mean, I would have really have loved that in hindsight. If Detroit was going to go down like this and, and injured and without Blake Griffin, I would have rather have seen Miami get in and Dwayne Wade go against Giannis and do basically in his career in Miami by playing the team where his career began when he was at Marquette. Um, going back and forth between those markets like that would have been fantastic for Dwayne to go out on. But it didn't happen. Now, having said all of that, I do think Milwaukee is a team that's a serious threat. Um, really, when, when if they can stay healthy, and if they can continue to get, you know, we talk a lot about Giannis. But I tell you what, Eric Bledsoe is the X factor for that team. And when he's playing like a dominant Eric Bledsoe, the Bledsoe that got that big contract uh, as he was leaving the Clippers and going to Phoenix, um, I, I don't think anybody in the East can stand up to him. The only team I think can probably give him a really, really good test in a great series is Toronto. But we've seen Toronto have their issues at times uh, in the first round, too. Uh, against the uh, Orlando Magic. So I do think Giannis is the real deal. I do think he's the MVP of the league, and I do think he has enough uh, if he can stay healthy to give Milwaukee at least to the Eastern Conference Finals. He's doing big things. Remember, he's a Grambling State graduate. He is Mike Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. Got some great videos, shares a lot with respect to the Grizzlies, with respect to the NBA, with respect to food, the culture, all of that. Mike Wallace joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Mike, always good to catch up, man, and we'll talk with you real soon. Hey, thanks a lot, D. I appreciate it, man. Anytime. I'm out. Have a very happy Resurrection Day. Thank you to Mike Wallace, Titus Howard, Carrick Jackson for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. want to welcome our newest affiliate and those listening to us in the Holly Springs, Mississippi and Memphis, Tennessee metro area on WKRA The Change 92.7. Thank you for making From the Press Box to Press Row a part of your day. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.